Hey everybody, this is Pastor Dan Jackson with Jacob's Well Church. Due to the spread of the coronavirus, on Sunday, March 22nd, 2020, we started posting online video Sunday virtual church services. The audio you are about to listen to is taken from the video footage of one of those virtual church services. Our hope and prayer is that through this message, God would minister to you, draw you closer to himself, and strengthen you to live for his glory. To watch videos of our church services, or to connect to Jacob's Well Church, or to just get more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Though oceans roar, you are the Lord of all. The one who calms the wind and the waves. Or speaking about Jesus, how many times did he calm the storm for his disciples in the boat? Though the earth gives way, the mountains move into the sea, the nations rage. I know my God is in control, he says. Be still and know that I am God is the way the psalmist puts it. The question I want to ask Um, in these few moments uh, here is how are you doing at that Uh, the be still part but also the second part the uh, knowing that I am God I I think we might be doing okay right now with the be still part we're we're sort of forced to be still right (laughs) we're stuck at home maybe Uh, we are stuck away from friends and family Uh, we can't go out. We can't, the restaurants are closed, bars are closed. I guess you can drive through Arby's if you want. But for the most part, we got this still part down pretty good right now, I think. The question that I'm considering is, how are you doing at the second part? How are you doing it knowing that God is still in control? Uh, To be honest, if, if I'm speaking for myself, I'm doing terribly at this part. I feel like the title of a book uh, someone once recommended to me, the title is, it goes like this, I'm all stressed up and I have nowhere to go. Don't you feel like that right now? Kind of all stressed up, but you don't have anywhere to go, right? You've been cooped up for a few days. Some of you have kids crawling all over you and you're not used to that. Some of you are growing tired of the silence and isolation. You want to be connected and you can't. Are you all stressed up and have nowhere to go? I know I feel a little bit like that right now. See, we're living in an anxious, unsettling, and some have even used the word unprecedented time, although I think that they have forgotten long past the last 50 years of history. But even still, uh, for our day and age, for sure, in the modern era, it does seem a little unprecedented in our country. The temptation, I believe, that we are having, I know that I'm having, is to let the anxiety, let the fear of the unknown, uh, the what-ifs, to take up more than just a passing thought, but for these thoughts to take up permanent residence in our hearts, I think is the temptation. Maybe you're experiencing the same temptation to be anxious, uh, to be given over to fear, to be overwhelmed by the unknown. But yet, we know for those of us who follow Jesus, 
that there is still hope, that there is still joy, that there is still peace that we can know, experience, and share in this time. And so to be reminded of this hope, this joy and peace, uh, we're going to turn to God's Word. And I know that we have been in 1 Corinthians. We're going to take a little pause this week from that, and we're going to be in Philippians, uh, Philippians 4, as we consider these valid and pressing concerns that are going on around us. We're going to look at a passage that's very familiar, uh, very, uh, probably for many, some of you maybe have it memorized, and yet it's very relevant, very, very relevant passage today we find from the book of Philippians. And so let's look uh, to God's word, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And here's what Paul writes. He says these things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is God's word for us. And we are reminded uh, from Scripture and other places that His word never fails, that it cannot be broken, and that it will always remain. And so let us, with that confidence, uh, go to the Lord and pray and ask Him to help us understand it. Let's pray. Father, uh, we just pray for help. Uh, this is a, a, a strange format uh, from wherever you are, from whatever position you're in right now. We are not together as your people, and yet we know that by your Spirit we are still unified to you and therefore unified to one another. And so, Lord, as we look to your word, we pray that the same Spirit that unifies us in Christ would also illuminate these words before our hearts and our minds, that we might be encouraged, uh, challenged, and convicted, Lord. I pray this for myself, and I pray this for all my friends who are tuning in, listening, uh, God be praised, we ask, and we pray be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're here in the living room of the church. I think I forgot to say that earlier. And so, in one sense, we're coming from our living room to yours, uh, or wherever you are. Uh, this morning, as I was thinking about all of this in this passage, I asked my wife, Tara, if she could think of a, of a funny uh, story about me being all stressed out uh, and anxious. And um, we were in the bathroom getting ready for the day, and I was mulling over the message I wanted to share uh, here. And uh, since Tara is really the secret to all my illustrations, I asked her, I said, hey, honey, sort of brushing our teeth and so forth, can you think of a time that I was anxious and stressed and did something funny? Immediately the response was, I don't even know what to do with that. I feel like you live in a daily state of stress and anxiety, and it's never funny to me. And I said, do you think I have an anxiety disorder? Yes. Do you think I should be medicated? Some days, yes. <laughs> and then we laughed. And then I said, thanks for the illustration. <laughs> but all joking aside, I, I, I don't want to make light of those who do suffer with legitimate uh, anxiety disorders. Uh, 
What I'm talking about is I don't think that kind of anxiety. Uh, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a professional counselor, and I don't pretend to be so. I am a pastor, though, and I've been called to proclaim God's word uh, to reach the lost and equip the saints. Uh, and in this case, I'm talking about the kind of anxiety that I see written in the pages of Scripture, uh, the kind of anxiety that Jesus talks about, the kind of anxiety that Paul in this passage talks about. Uh, sometimes some people refer to it as common anxiety. I'm not sure if that's a fair uh, phrase. But in any case, this is the kind of anxiety that steals our joy. It's the kind of anxiety and nervousness that results when we allow ourselves to be uh, tyrannized by circumstances. So what that means is it's when we let events and situations and circumstances uh, bully us and beat the joy out of us and beat the hope out of us. It's when we let things like our current predicament and COVID-19 and all the resulting effect it has had so far in our community, in our nation, in our world, it's when we let things like this rob us of our joy and our peace and our neighbor love. That's the kind of anxiety and stress that I'm talking about. And I think this is the kind of anxiety and stress that the Bible talks about. And I think that this is the same kind of anxiety and stress that many are feeling and experiencing right now. At least that's been my experience as I've spoken with a few of you this week. Many of us are wondering things like, am I going to get this? What happens if I do get this? Uh, what happens if someone I know gets this? What happens if someone I know dies from this? What happens if someone I love gets this and dies from this? Or maybe the questions are more pragmatic in terms of day-to-day. -day. What if I lose my job? What if I'm already out of a job? What if I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills in two weeks? What do I do now? Or maybe you're thinking about food. What if, what if they close the grocery stores? What if we have to stand in food lines? What if they ration supplies? Or maybe you're thinking about the family trip you were supposed to take next week or next month. Maybe you're thinking, what if I'm quarantined to my home for more than just 15 days? What if this is more than just eight weeks? What am I going to do with myself? What am I going to do with my children? What am I going to do with all of us on top of each other every moment of every day? What if, what if, what if, what if they go on and on and on? And they are valid questions. They are valid concerns. But I think they might all be related to a more fundamental underlying question. And I don't mean to, un to uh, oversimplify, but simply to say I think there's a, a fundamental question that lies beneath all of these questions, and it's this. How do I have peace today? How do I have an unburdened rest and a settled peace? How do I take a breath, uh, one of those relaxing breaths where you breathe in deep and it just settles you? How do I do that right now? You see, when we are confronted with anxious and uncertain times, we have to ask these serious questions. And the question I think that faces us today in this passage and in our culture and our context is this. How can I know, experience, and rest in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in this moment? Well, it probably won't surprise you to know that this has been a question on the hearts and minds of people ever since the beginning of uh, time, uh, specifically to that moment in time after our first parents fell. Uh, you may remember it in Genesis 3. Uh, this is when the world was plunged into the misery of sin and death. And ever since then, 
Human beings have been asking the same question. How do I find rest? How do I find peace? How do I find joy? How do I find contentedness? And not just the kind that comes today and is gone by the end of the day, but the kind that lasts forever and ever and ever. The kind that can withstand any storm, any disease, any uncertainty. We see, it's the question that we have, and it's also the question that the followers of Jesus and Philippi had as well. Although their circumstances were slightly different, you might be surprised at how much overlap there is between their concerns and ours. Uh, Here's a few things that they were worried about. Paul writes about some of these in his letter. Uh, The first thing that they're worried about is Paul. He's in prison. He's facing death, and they're concerned about him. They're They're wondering, what's going to happen to our brother, Paul? What's going to happen to the guy who planted us, to our leader? What's going to happen to him? The next thing that they're concerned about is these opponents or outsiders, some translations, right? It's in chapter 1, verse 28. And uh, these were uh, coming from two different sides. Uh, You have the secularists, the the pagan Greeks, who over here were calling the Christians atheists because they only worshipped one God, and it wasn't a visible God like like an idol. So they have this opposition coming at them, and they're telling them, look, like, you, you guys are strange, you guys are weird, you don't go to the temple like we do, and uh, bow down to Diana and whoever else. And then, in addition to this opposition, they're being called atheists, they've got over here the Judaizers who are telling them that because they call Jesus the Son of God and Savior, they ought to be persecuted and cast out from the synagogue. And so they're fighting this persecution from both sides of opponents who are stripping away their flourishing, stripping away uh, their ability in this community, in this context, to live a full life. Probably made for a life of suffering and difficulty, I imagine. Then Paul talks about some disunity, and we have this famous Christ hymn in chapter 2, but it starts off with him saying, have this mind among you, that you would uh, have the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So there's some disunity, obviously, going on, probably due to the fact that there's selfish ambition, there's conceit, uh, they're not being humble, they're having pride, there's probably just downright selfishness happening. And then we find in a little later in this same chapter, something that we sometimes just gloss right past, but they have a friend named Epaphroditus who almost died from a disease. In fact, it was so serious, Paul says that he thought he was going to die, and Paul was overwhelmed. He says, I had sorrow upon sorrow at the thought that he might die, just at the thought that this dear friend would die. And so here they have a sick friend that this church is dear to this church, and they're thinking he's going to die. So Paul's writing about him. In summary, here's some, uh, if we were to summarize why they're stressed out, why they're worried, why they're anxious, uh, and, and The first is a phrase that we're using right now, social distancing. They were physically separated from Paul and Epaphroditus, and it concerned them. They were isolated. They were divided from one another. They uh, they were seen as outcasts in their society. Uh, They probably had some internal turmoil going on, and so because of all this, they were isolated in a sense. And then they're also facing the stress of disease. Any of these sound familiar? (laughs) Right? See, in the midst of these conditions, Paul writes to these followers and he says this, you can still have peace. You can still have joy. You can still have fellowship. In fact, he says that this peace is not only a possibility, like one of the many options out there. He says for followers of Jesus, this peace is a certainty. 
It is an unfathomable reality. It is, in fact, a guardian of grace. So the question then that I want us to think about for a few minutes here is this. How do we know this peace? How do we experience this peace? How do we rest in this peace today? Well, Paul gives us three ways. Uh, And I'll state them here and then we'll kind of unpack each one. The first way is uh, that we are to let joy reign within us. Let joy reign within. The second thing he talks about is we are to let grace be shown all around. And the third is that we are to let anxiety lead us to communion with God. To let anxiety lead us to communion. So let's unpack these for a few moments. We're just going to take them in turn and and you'll see the outline is very simple. It's verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. Verse 4, Paul writes this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a message he's been reiterating throughout the whole letter. He began uh, specifically writing this in the beginning of chapter 3. And he gives this, and it's interesting, the Greek, it's a command. He's not saying you should think about this or maybe you should do this. He actually says you need to rejoice. It's a present active imperative, present tense, rejoice. In fact, I think that it seems so unreasonable to be uh, commanded to rejoice that he puts it at the bookends of the verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Because this is a hard one for us, isn't it? It seems a little unreasonable that Paul would command us uh, what we might think of as being happy. We might hear him saying, are you telling me I have to, you're commanding my emotions? Like I've got to somehow conjure up some rejoicing in me? The question is this, can we truly rejoice at all times when we consider past regrets, when we consider current sins that we're struggling with, when we consider friends and loved ones that are suffering, when we consider the effects of of everything that's going on right now? Can we rejoice in COVID-19? Can we rejoice that we're socially apart from one another? Can we rejoice in the fact that we're not meeting on Sunday morning for worship, but we're virtually doing this? Are we to rejoice in this? So there's two points I want to make on this. And the first one is, as far as I can tell, Paul does not command rejoicing in all things. As if to say that we should rejoice in every single thing There are many things that we're not supposed to rejoice in. We're not supposed to rejoice in sin. We're not supposed to rejoice in wickedness. We're not supposed to rejoice in injustice. We're not supposed to rejoice in in disease. We're not supposed to rejoice in these things. So let us not confuse Paul's words here to say, he's saying you need to rejoice in everything. Everything ought to bring you joy. That's not what he's saying. Point two is this. What he is saying is that We are to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that is based on something. And in this case, and in every case in Scripture, you'll find anytime we're told to be joyful, anytime we're told to rejoice, it's always in the Lord. It's always in what He has done or what He is doing. It's always looking to something, in fact, someone. And in this case, He's specifically pointing them to the truth. And here's kind of a stepping outside of this for a minute. Every command of Scripture is based on a truth statement. We are never commanded to do anything that is not founded in a truth statement, an identity statement. In this case, the identity statement is this. 
you are in the Lord, so rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. You are in the Lord, so rejoice. The foundation is in the Lord. The command flows out of that. Rejoice. Paul gives us, I think, in this letter, a number of reasons. Maybe I put down five reasons. I'm sure there's a lot more. But I'm just going to run through these reasons. Because you might be saying, well, why? Why should we rejoice in, in the Lord? How, how do we do this? And Paul gives us some reasons. And I think this helps us. The first one is this. Uh, if you look back to chapter 1, he mentions this in chapter 2 when we get to the Christ hymn. But the ultimate reason we rejoice is that we are saved by Christ. We are saved individuals. We have been saved from our sin problem. We have been redeemed. Remember that great Christ hymn where he talks about have this attitude like Christ and he goes into the gospel. Jesus who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him because now we have a reason to rejoice. And he's bestowed on him, on Jesus, the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the first reason he rejoices. Because Jesus is Lord. He has conquered death. He has risen from the grave, he has ascended to the throne and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, interceding for us and restraining us and ruling over us today. So Paul says, I'm rejoicing because I've been redeemed and I'm in the Lord. And Jesus is Lord. He also rejoices, secondly, because Jesus was able and willing to supply his every need. He speaks about this a little later in the same chapter. And he talks about how his needs have been met, and he's confident in God's provision. Now, when we hear the word need, we sometimes have in mind something different than maybe Paul was thinking of. But he's talking about real needs, needs that our souls have. In fact, he even writes about physical needs and says, you know, whether I have plenty or want, whether I have, uh, I'm well fed or, uh, or not, whether I'm homeless or not, I have learned the secrets of being content because I can do all things through Christ. See, that's his ultimate need is to rest in Christ. Uh, is to, he needs to rest in Christ and he's able to do that through him. He also rejoices, a third, a third reason is because he sees others are being saved. He's looking around and he's, he says in chapter one how he sees everything that's happening is serving to advance the gospel. And he's happy about this. He said, I'm in chains and other people have heard I'm in chains and they've grown more confident to spread the gospel because of this. Praise God, he says. Others are being saved. Even through some who are speaking out of selfish gain. He says, hey, what, ha- what, what does it matter as long as Christ is being proclaimed? So he's rejoicing in this. He's also rejoicing in the fact that God is causing all things to work together for good. I'm quoting a little bit out of Romans 8, but he does speak about this in uh, Romans, uh, excuse me, Philippians 1 in uh, verses 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Uh, and most of the brothers have become confident and they're speaking without fear. Even some are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim it out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. God is using all these things to save others and to work together for the glory of God and for the good of his people. The last thing is this, that he rejoices in the fact that he has free access at all times to the throne of grace. And think about that. At all times, at any time, in any place, no matter where we are, we have access in Christ to the throne of grace. We can go to him with our needs and our supplications and our prayers. There's a quote that, uh, that I found um, from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he writes about this. How do we rejoice in the Lord? How do we find this joy in the Lord? And he says, many people do not know the joy of the Lord today for the one and only reason that they have never truly realized their own poverty, emptiness, and deadness. There are many people who never know the joy of the Lord because they have failed to see themselves as miserable sinners. And here's the quote that I really want us to hear the only way to be happy in Christ is to be desperately unhappy without Him. You see, friends, we rejoice in the Lord when we realize that it's only in the Lord that we have life. It's only in the Lord that we have breath. It's only in Him that we have rescue from our sin condition, uh, from our rebellious hearts. And it's in this that we can rejoice. Even in the midst of our sins and failings, we can still rejoice because we know that in Christ, for those who follow Jesus, there's no condemnation. We can rejoice always. So how about you? Are you resting in the Lord knowing that it's in Him that you can find joy? I had a conversation with a friend this week and we were talking about this verse and, and I said, how's this going for you? And he said, well, I feel like I'm lying. I feel like to say rejoice in the Lord always, and then I, I just say, yay, I'm happy, but I'm just lying. My heart doesn't seem to be there. And as we were talking, I was reminded of, uh, of the famous words of Elf. Maybe you've heard these words. Maybe you've heard them. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. The reason I bring this up is that sometimes our hearts are hard. Sometimes we are suffering with uh, situational anxiety. And yet, we're still called to rejoice in the Lord. And sometimes, we need to go through the behavior. We need to go through the actions to get our hearts to come along. If that makes sense. This is why we sing, I believe. Singing softens the hearts. If you remember in the, in the, the movie, I hope I'm not ruining it for anybody, but it's towards the end, and Santa Claus's sleigh is trying to get off the ground, and uh, the clausometer is failing, and... and uh, and the girlfriend, the elf girlfriend, I don't remember her name anyway, she stands up and she says, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And they all start singing except for the dad, you know, elf's dad. And he's just mouthing the words and the son says, dad, you're not really singing. I'm singing. And he's just kind of mouthing, you know, whatever they're singing, you better watch out. And then he really begins singing. And as he does, what happens is countenance changes. His heart softens. He actually starts to look happy. Sometimes we have to go through the motions, the right motions, and know that our hearts are going to follow. Coupled with this, we also need to consider what Christ has done. If we are in the Lord, what does that mean? That we are unified to Him, and how are we unified? So we sing about Him in order to remind us of what He has done and to help soften our hearts and to let this joy of Jesus reign in us.
So that's the first part. The second part is this. Paul says this. He says in verse 5, uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So first we let the joy of the Lord reign within us and know that we'll find peace. The second one is that we are to go back and make sure I say this the way I wrote it down. Let the grace of God be shown all around. Let grace be shown all around. Now, why did I choose grace? Uh, verse 5 in the ESV says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, this is a really interesting word. This, the word used for reasonableness. In fact, um, I looked up four different translations in English, and all four translations have a different word. One uses reasonableness. Another says, let your moderation. Another says, let your forbearing spirit be known. Uh, and then the NIV says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Well, what is Paul trying to say here? And this is another command, by the way, to let this characteristic be known. He's commanding this. Well, one interpreter writes it like this. He interprets the word as big-heartedness. He says, you should have big-heartedness. And then he writes this. He says, for big-heartedness, one may substitute any of the following. Now listen to the whole litany. This is for one Greek word. He says, you can substitute forbearance, yieldedness, geniality, kindliness, gentleness, sweet reasonableness, considerateness, charitableness, mildness, magnanimity. That's a fun one, isn't it? And generosity. And generosity. In fact, he even says there's no one English word, not one single English word that fully expresses the meaning of this original. And obviously that's the case because every translation uses something different. So what have I done? I've chosen to use the word grace. It's sort of like the trump card, you know, we're just going to use the word grace. But I think it's, it couples with what's going on here in that this is not something that is uh, for us inwardly. This is something that's to be known. He says, let your reasonableness be known by everyone. Let your moderation be known. Let your forbearance be known. Let your geniality be known. Let your generosity be known. Let your charitableness be known. What he's saying is, let who Jesus is, the grace of Jesus, flow through you and be known to everyone around you. Let the grace of God be shown all around you and through you to the world. In essence, what Paul's saying is we are to cultivate an outgoing personality of grace that is seen, known, and experienced. In fact, the word for know here is the same as uh, gnosko, which is an intimate knowledge. It's not just something that you're supposed to see. You're actually supposed to intimately experience this. So he's saying, Christian, part of finding peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, is to live out the grace of God in what you're doing. Of course, this follows the pattern and person of Jesus. But you'll notice that this command, too, is attached to a truth statement, to an identity statement. And we see it here in these words. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so what this is saying, the Lord is at hand, is that Jesus is coming soon. We're going to meet Jesus soon. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. Like, I don't know about that. Well, let's think of it like this. There's two ways that this is going to happen, Okay. Jesus is coming soon, meaning he's going to actually come back in your lifetime. And in the grand scheme of things, that's soon. If he comes back in your lifetime, Jesus is coming soon. The other option is that you're going to die and you're going to meet him. And the truth of the matter is, in the grand scheme of things, that's soon as well. Because this life is but a vapor. We ought not to fear death. We have only to fear our destiny. And if our destiny is not in Christ, 
You see, the question is, are you ready to meet Jesus? The Lord is at hand, says Paul. And for those who are in Christ, for followers of Jesus, you've been saved by his grace, truth statement. And so now you can say with confidence, I'm ready to meet him. And so therefore, it's the follower of Jesus who can and ought show off this grace. The grace we have received, we can now give to a dying and lost world. You see, the truth is we can only show off grace to the extent that we've received God's grace. And so I ask, are you resting your eternal destiny in God's hands? Have you considered that there is no better time than today, right now, to receive and rest upon Christ alone? For those who are resting in God's grace, I want to ask you a a, a second question, maybe a follow-up question. Are you considering all the opportunities that we have in this moment to show off God's grace? They're everywhere. Last week, I was at the coffee shop when you could still go inside coffee shops. And uh, I was having a conversation with the uh, barista who I've been getting to know. And uh, right away, we're talking about coronavirus. And right away, I say, hey, what do you think about this coronavirus? Oh, I don't know. I'm just concerned for some you know, older family members and so forth. And I said, you know, you probably see me. I come in here many Thursdays and I have my Bible with me. I'm a pastor. And I was thinking about this concept in the Bible, this disease that the Bible talks about called sin. And I was really struck thinking, I wonder how it would look in this world if everyone approached the disease of sin the same way we're approaching the disease of coronavirus. Well, the conversation sort of ended there. That's one of those like, now we're done. But we got the start of a gospel conversation. See, there are lots of opportunities right now, both through conversations, gospel conversations, but also opportunities to show mercy, to show compassion. Think about your neighbors. Maybe you've got some shut-in neighbors, older folks who are afraid to go out. Can you go get groceries for them? Uh, Can you help? Can you maybe take them some cookies or maybe make them a card? They might have to sanitize it first, but hey, you can offer it. The opportunities to show the grace of God right now, to let your reasonableness be known to everyone are tremendous, overwhelming. Are we going to be the reasonable ones who stand in the hope of Jesus in the midst of this and say, yep, this is scary, but we have a greater hope? I hope so, because the Lord is at hand. So we've talked about peace coming to those who let the joy of the Lord reign within. We've talked about the the peace of God comes to those who let grace be shown all around. And thirdly, we're going to discuss in our last few minutes here, The peace of God comes to those who let anxiety lead them into communion. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, let's look at what Paul says first. Paul says this in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Literally, uh, the, the original says, in nothing be anxious. And then it goes straight on to the next phrase. In everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We have two commands here. In nothing be anxious. In everything, go to the go to God. In nothing, be stressed out and worried. In everything, through prayer, through request making, through thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So what he's saying is instead of being anxious about events and circumstances, go to the throne of grace. Now notice again that there's a truth statement here that this command is based on, these two commands are based on. He's saying don't be anxious 
Instead, pray because, here's the identity truth statement, you have at all times free access to the Father. At all times, in every situation, whether you're in the farthest, deepest hole, you're in the darkest cave, whether you're holed up in your house and you can't get out and it's two weeks and you're going crazy, you still have access to the Father because of Jesus. And so because of this, don't be anxious. Instead, pray. Why pray? Well, ultimately, because God wants to hear us. Because God calls us to pray. Because He has spoken to us in His Word. And He calls us to respond to Him, to talk to Him. He longs to hear our voice. Jesus even teaches us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It begins that way. The Father longs to hear His children. The second question is, how do we do this then? Well, Paul gives us a few examples here, and there's many prayers throughout Scripture. Uh, A great prayer in Philippians that I memorized uh, when I was a young man is uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and depth of insight. This is the NIV I'm quoting from. Uh, There are great prayers in the Bible that can teach you to pray. In this particular passage, Paul gives three uh, ways that we can pray. He says, first, with supplication. By prayer and supplication. This is making requests. This is saying, here's all the stuff I'm worried about, God. Here's all the stuff that's, that's given me anxiety, that's given me grief right now. Lord, I'm taking it. I'm just, Lord, help. That's what this is. Supplication, help. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, my, my job at the mall is suspended for who knows how long. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to be homeless. Supplication, requests, he says. This is how we pray. The second thing he says is to also do this with thanksgiving. This is acknowledging that in the midst of praying, God cares for you still. He is a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. He loves to supply our every need, not our every want, our every need. And so we pray with our requests. We lift them up. We pray acknowledging God's care. And then lastly, we pray with confidence. Because we know that God hears us because Christ has made a way. Do not be anxious, he says, about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I don't think it's an accident that Paul couples anxiety here, anxiousness, and prayer together. Have you ever considered that anxiety, anxiousness, stressed outness is a call to communion with the Father? In this way, wouldn't it be right to thank God even for our anxious hearts? Because in that, we are driven to deeper dependence upon the Father. Uh, There's a book that I recently picked up, and it was recommended to me, and I would recommend it to you, especially if you deal with uh, more maybe chronic anxiety. And the book title is this, It's Struck Down But Not Destroyed, Living Faithfully with Anxiety. And it's written by Pierce Taylor Hibbs. And this is what he writes about anxiety. He says, anxiety will help you drop any illusions that fullness of life resides anywhere except in the God who communes with himself and the God who has called you into communion with him. Anxiety, I'm going to read it again. Anxiety will help you drop any illusions that fullness of life resides anywhere except in God. And he's a God who has called you into communion with himself. So what do we do when we're anxious? We heed the call of anxiety 
and drive ourselves. Get on our knees into communion with God. Prayerfully trusting Him. Lifting up our requests and giving thanks. Uh, my, my third, or no, yeah, my third son. Sorry, I was counting up all my kids in my head. My third son, Graham, uh, who was born five and a half years ago, uh, we, we, we do home births, which causes anxiety in and of itself. Uh, or did home births, I guess we're done. But anyway, only the Lord knows, right? No. Sorry. Okay. We can cut that out, right? Uh, but as my wife was in labor, she texted a good friend of hers. Um, and uh, her friend shared this verse with her. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and Tara was, of course, anxious. It was coupled with we were actually going to our midwife's house to do the birth, um, just for various reasons that I won't go into. And I was trying to keep us at home as long as possible. And so Tara was even anxious because I wasn't leaving soon enough and uh, to go to our midwife's house. And, and uh, so she said that every time she had a contraction, uh, she, of course, was anxious. And yet the Lord kept bringing back to mind this verse that her friend gave her. And every time the verse came, the only thing she could think of in those moments of those contractions uh, were the names of her friend's kids. That's all she could think of. Nora, Aliyah, Jaren, and Lainey. That's all she could think of. So every contraction, she's thinking of Christy, who gave her these, uh, these verses, and all she could think of was her kids. And so she just said, I just started praying and giving thanks for the kids. Lord, thank you for Nora. Help her right now. Thank you for Aliyah. Help him right now. Watch over him right now. And she said, as she did that, she was drawn into fellowship with the Father. She was worshiping Him in what might be some of the most anxious moments for a woman. And the pain of childbearing was made more bearable. And the anxiety of that situation was driven uh, lesser as her communion with the Father grew. Friends, when you are anxious, what if you saw that as a call to commune in prayer and thanksgiving with the Father? How would that change the way you view anxiety? How would it change the way you view stressful situations? See, the peace of God is promised to those who prayerfully trust in God with requests and thanksgiving in the face and the midst of anxiety. The peace of God is promised to those who see anxiety as a call to prayer. So in summary, we've seen these things, that the peace of God is given to those who let the joy of the Lord reign within who let grace be shown to everyone because we've received much grace, and who prayerfully trust in God, who see their anxiety as a call to deepen their trust in God. And these truth statements, these promises then are for you. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Of course, we don't do this perfectly, but thankfully, even in the midst of our stumblings, to rejoice in the Lord always. In our stumblings, to let our grace be known to everyone. In our stumblings, to, to take our anxiety and turn it into prayer. We know with confidence that the Lord is still underneath us and around us and holding us. Because His promises are sure that His grace is sufficient for us. And His power is made perfect in our weakness. And so we find peace even in this, even in the midst of stumbling through these commands. You see, peace is the smile of God that's reflected upon the soul of the believer. It's the heart's calm after Calvary's storm, you might say. 
Because God has made a way. He has brought peace. That's founded upon his grace. It's a gift. It is what Christ has bought and paid for in his death, resurrection, and ascension. We don't have the ability to gain this peace. We can only go to God who provides this peace. And so, I encourage you today, wherever you are, to rejoice in the Lord. To show off His grace. To turn your anxiety of today into communion with the Father. And so let His peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we just pray that you would give us the strength uh, as we meditate upon these things, Lord. And that you would give us the, the strength to remember, Lord. I think that part of our failures are more just forgetting these truths. That we would remember that we are in you. That we would remember that, that we belong to you. That you care for us. That we have nothing to fear. And so, Lord, as we consider how to let your peace Reign within us, Lord. Grant us that very thing today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.